We're going to Vegas. Let's bring Richie Incognito and give him six million guaranteed. to all things NFL. The playoffs are here, which means we have less games, but they are, in theory, at least better games. Was that the truth? We'll figure it out this week. So, hey, we got Connor here, and we got Ronan. Hello. How's tricks? How are you getting on? I'm not too bad, obviously. Uh, as we said last week, I was up in Dublin yesterday to watch the uh, NFC wildcard matchups. Mm, it was great. Got, a, got to hang out with yourself, talk football, talk other things, talk life, etc. like that. Oh, Joke yeah. about the danger you're in uh, when you go back to Iraq. <laughs> Kick it off there a little bit since yeah. we last spoke to the fans. <laughs> Somewhat some of less of a joke to your family, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we uh, got to meet, obviously, lots of our friends and obviously a lot of them are listeners as well. And yeah, so that was pretty good. And uh, yeah, it's just... Well, the Seahawks won, even if it wasn't the prettiest game. So yeah. I can't be too unhappy. And a bit of dancing afterwards. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, some, some, some great dancing down the workings because yeah. we're still hip and young and with it. Yeah, I might, might have picked up an ACL injury or something, I don't know, on the dance yeah. floor. <laughs> no, of course. So I suppose we'll fly on into it. The main news at this time of year, obviously the playoffs are on, but the big one is all the teams who aren't playing are starting to change their uh, coaches and the carousel ever keeps turning. So Washington, the Mazungus, have found their new head coach in uh, Ron Rivera. So he is friendly with the ownership there. This was kind of... I think we mentioned in last week's podcast, this was expected to be coming through during the week, and I think it was officially announced the day after we recorded. But yeah, he's had a decent success with Carolina, although the more recently there's been kind of a little bit more up and down in it. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, because like we said beforehand, this is probably the most dysfunctional like ownership situation. And it's not exactly a talent-rich team, although they've gotten production out of some of their rookies this year. I think like this is probably not the first job that, if you were a, a hypothetical head coach candidate, you would take. But as you mentioned, Ron Rivera has somewhat of a pre-existing relationship with the team, and I think a big thing for him is he probably asked for a lot of you know guarantees about having a lot of control over the organization. Obviously, you know as we mentioned last week, Bruce Allen, the president, was fired. Uh, this year as well so obviously there's a lot of changes going on here and you know coach-led tickets in terms of controlling the organization are you know they're pretty common and they're perhaps even becoming more common recently so it's not surprising that but yeah with this owner how much are their promises really worth not a lot to be honest so we'll see if he has enough power to hold that off and kind of build an organization in his own image like his first hire was Jack Del Rio, obviously the former Oakland coach as their defensive coordinator. That's an experienced head. He has a pretty good track record. And they're expected to keep Kevin O'Connell, their offensive coordinator. I think, yeah, like it's not a team that's overflowing with what I call like blue chip talent. But there's lots of very intriguing players there on the defense. I think they have some interesting players in the defensive line. Um, probably could do with some help in the secondary. And on the offense... I think the big question is whether how much rope Dwayne Haskins will get because let's be honest, based on what we saw this year, I would want something to compete with him and perhaps that might even be Alex Smith, who I hear is still interested in coming back to football and if he did manage to do that either this season, which is less likely, or, or at any point, that would be great to see. But yeah, I think for Dwayne Haskins, you need to get someone in the room there to compete, um, even if it's like a Case Keenum type, just to just to make sure that there's like you don't tank the entire team season due to his inefficiency. No, of course. Uh, Dallas have got their head coach as well. They've picked up Mike McCarthy, him of the Green Bay Packers fame from beforehand. 
So this has happened after, for some reason, it took them ages to decide they were going to fire Jason Garrett, even though everyone knew from about eight weeks into the season that this was probably coming anyway. It got down to him versus uh, Marvin Lewis, I believe, for this position. But Marvin Lewis was demanding that he was allowed to take uh, Hugh Jackson in as offensive coordinator. So that essentially was the was the end of that campaign, I think. Yeah, like I like this move. McCarthy's did a big job of kind of saying that, oh, he's turned a corner, he's been working on his coaching, he now does all the analytics stuff. He, he, he could see some success here, because, like, it is a talented team. This is a win-now organization. The way that they've, like, they have so much money invested in players like Zeke, uh, like Lawrence on the defensive line, and obviously Dak is likely to get a absolute shit ton of money this offseason. So, yeah, and they don't have very many draft picks. So this is a situation, like, here's the team that you have, and we want you to get the best out of it. Uh, funnily, I was actually reading that article from like a year ago over Christmas, the one about his troubles with Aaron Rodgers. And I think, you know, in Dak Prescott, you probably aren't as likely to have that level of, well, let's just say rebellion for the lack of a better term. But I think like Mike McCarthy, he's generally solid. We'll see if he if he takes over play calling duties or not, or tries to have more of a hands-off situation. What His goal towards the end of Green Bay tenure was to be more like a CEO type head coach. So we'll see what type of approach he makes. And obviously, like, let's be honest, the number one qualification for a Dallas head coach is uh, licking the feet of the Jones family uh, sufficiently that they uh, allow you to do what you want. So I think Dallas, they're a, t- they're a talented team. Jason Garrett was a superly mediocre coach with no vision. And I think Mike McCarthy, even though I don't think he's even though I'm not that pushed on him, I think he can certainly be an improvement on Garrett. The Giants have fired Pat Shermer. This was due to happen, but I suppose... You know, I, like they, they, they've been massively underperforming. Yeah, like uh, this happened pretty much just after we recorded last week. And it, yeah, it was pretty much uh, expected. His record in, in the Giants was terrible, like uh, sub 33%, I believe. So he just, he wasn't getting it done. And it's obviously a team that like has a lot of holes in it, but also has a lot of very interesting young talents. Obviously, Daniel Jones headlines that, and obviously you have Saquon Barkley. So you have the nucleus of what your offense wants to be on the offensive side. Like even the receiver core probably could do with a, like a, a true wide receiver one, but they have a good crop there. I think the major thing they might be looking for here is to you know pump up that defense, especially in the pass game. And uh, once again, uh, the offensive line, it was better this year, but they could probably boost that a little bit as well. So I think th- this is a team, it's an organization that used to, used to pride itself on being a, you know, model of stability, but has obviously been a lot less than that since Coughlin left. No, of course, in Cleveland, who are currently without a head coach and now also without a GM as they've parted ways with John Dorsey. Uh, I believe they wanted to restructure to take some of the power away from him and he decided he didn't want that. So. Paul Podesta is now in charge of getting the GM and the head coach for them. This is, I think, the second time in about four or five years where we've seen Dorsey maybe overreaching a little bit or demanding too much power because that was what got him shoved out the door in Kansas City as well. The thing is, you can't you don't you, don't, you can't doubt his uh, scouting ability because he's very good at finding talent. The problem is he seems to be difficult to work with. It's a situation here where. Given how bad things went, like how you know disorganized the entire organization went, and all of the off the field stuff, and basically making the whole organization look bad, um, particularly around the Miles Garrett situation, like the one of the roles of the GM, beside obviously building a roster, is to try and be the manager to try and keep the thing, you know, keep the show on the road and stop things from blowing up. And well, he basically failed at that. 
and we also know that he isn't perhaps the best at like in terms of like big contracts and stuff like that. So I think Paul DePesta, like he hasn't been talked about it in a while. He was obviously initially brought in as part of the Moneyball Revolution. Like he is with a baseball background. So it's interesting to see that he's still there and he still has that level of influence, but he's obviously looking to basically pair a GM and a head coach together, perhaps yeah. putting head coach first and looking to do something like they did in Seattle when they hired John Schneider and Pete Carroll. So I'd imagine well, whoever the head coach ends up being, they will have a lot of power in this organization. But obviously there's hoping here that Paul DePesta has better judgment than uh, previous administrations. Apparently he they, they like him because he was talking about people that who've subsequently gone on to be good head coaches, like the Buffalo head coach. We'll see if, if his prognostication this time can be successful. And Jacksonville, this confuses me, have decided to retain Doug Marone and GF Dave Caldwell, and they're going to report directly to Shad Khan. And basically what they're saying is they want to remove the influence that Coughlin had on that organization and see how they do without him there. Yeah. It's a weird one for me. I thought I thought there was no way they were going to keep Doug Murrow. Yeah, like, I'm surprised. I think Shad Khan is one of these owners who just doesn't like having to change things, but obviously... Uh, you know, even the fact that they stuck with uh, Blake Bortles for so long is an indication of that. So I think, obviously, Coughlin, given the way it ended and given what he was doing in terms of, well, basically pissing off all their players, he's obviously decided that, okay, maybe the problem was that was creating a bad atmosphere and where the where the other people in the organization felt disempowered to make the changes they might have made. So we should at least give them one chance. Now, to be honest, these situations where you're like, you know you have one chance left, and you're basically on the hot seat to begin the year, very, very rarely work out. So, yeah, and given Doug Marone, I don't rate him that highly. Dave Caldwell hasn't been that great. It's an interesting decision. You're on the hot seat. You're going directly to the owner. These type of situations, just they're not likely to work, in my opinion. Oh, of course. Miami fired their offensive coordinator, Chad O'Shea, and they've brought in Sean Gailey, who used to be the head coach in Buffalo. So obviously looking to spread things out a little bit more. It's interesting, like we, we were discussing this last night, like, I was surprised initially when I heard about them firing the offensive coordinator given some of the performances we saw out of Miami this season. But yeah. then, again, as you, as, as you mentioned, I believe it was, uh, a lot of that was just Fitzpatrick doing improvisational yeah. stuff rather than actual offensive yeah. coordination. So, like, like I think the New England game was very, very representative of what the heat, like Fitzmagic had been doing all year, which was kind of just going off script, avoiding sacks and just getting it done. There was no indication that the Jad O'Shea like scheming was what was helping them get there. And obviously we saw with an inferior quarterback in Josh Rosen that they did literally nothing. Chan Gailey, to be honest, his track record isn't that good as a head coach or even as an offensive coordinator, but he was one of the um, innovators of the spread type systems in the college game. So that might give an indication that the types of quarterbacks that they're looking to get in the draft, which they're almost certainly going to do, that that's what they need to do to create a scheme that those kind of quarterbacks are comfortable with. Um, I'm not a huge fan of this, but... Yeah, like obviously, you know, given the way they end and given how they overperform, perhaps their expectations, you know, the, the coach has a lot of power to make these kind of changes and see what happens. Yeah, and Chicago has started a bit of a clear out. They fire their offensive coordinator, Mark Kellerich, along with a load of other lower down assistant coaches and stuff like that. Uh, the, the the belief is that Nagy's going to be a little bit more hands-on with it. Uh, the GM came out and gave like a very lukewarm backing of Mitch Trubisky. He is going to be the starting quarterback next year. But yeah, they kind of said... His issue is consistency. He'll occasionally, <laughs> but he'll have, he'll have some good good throws. The problem is all the other throws between the good throws. We had some spirited debates about uh, Mitch Trubisky uh, last night, but uh, 
let's say, like, like I think it is worth noting here that, yeah, you fired your offensive coordinator and a number of other offensive coaches, but the reality is that that's Matt Nagy's offense. He's the one calling the plays. He's the one designing the plays. And obviously he decided this basically assistant offensive coordinator wasn't doing enough for him. I don't know what he expects to get from an offensive coordinator, but given how little influence and power they're likely to have, I don't see it as being a particularly prestigious position uh, in the NFL carousel. So you can, you, you can keep making changes all you want, but I think you and I both agree that the central problem might be uh, in the personnel department not to do with the actual uh, play caller at this point. Yeah, I can to some players. Chicago have uh, extended their safety, Eddie Jackson, who's been playing very well for them. Four years, 58 uh, million. It's, it makes sense. He's played very well for them. Lock up the talent. Given, you know, last offseason, they lost a couple of contributors and the defense did see a little bit of a, of, a, of a slide this year. Maybe there was more of a willingness to kind of get the get the checkbook out early and get these kind of deals done. I think for a, for a high-level safety, this is about reasonable. And, uh, yeah, they can hope that they have to keep that core together along players like, side players like Keel Mack and Akeem Hicks that the defense might be able, with a bit better coaching, be getting closer to where it was in 2018. So Oakland have locked up guard Richie Incognito. He of not being in the league last year and trying to decapitate a dead body. Uh, he's been given a two-year, fourteen million dollar contract with six million guaranteed. Like he's played well for them. He's just he's a nut job. Yeah, uh, you know we're going to Vegas. Let's bring Richie Incognito and give him six million guaranteed. Like I'm not I'm not sure on the uh, on the wisdom of it, but sure look like he did play well for them. Offensive linemen are impossible to find these days, and therefore if you find one you trust, and we know like and to be fair, we know that John Gruden's the kind of guy who probably an offensive line likes his older guys who just get the game um it's fine but yeah like there's always a there's a not insignificant risk this could blow up spectacularly at some point over the next two years oh of course more oakland news there in the in in here for a bit of trouble this time around that cornerback uh, nevin lawson has been suspended for one game following an incident on the field in their la in their week 17 matchup where he used his helmet as a weapon i believe is the terminology that they're using for it basically launched at the fella um yeah. So yeah, just like in surprising news, Oakland have some scumbag. I don't think this was called on the broadcast, so we're not really sure on the details. But yeah, like given what happened earlier in the year with Miles Garrett, it's not surprising that the NFL is uh, quick to come down on any future helmet uh, attack incidents. And uh, yeah. Nevin Lawson is the uh, the first to feel that the force of that uh, that, that emphasis uh, going forward. Of course, and just a couple of other bits of news. The Alabama quarterback Tua Tuilova has declared for the 2020 draft. This is the player who we mentioned beforehand uh, suffered a very bad pelvis injury slash hip injury. There was questions about whether he'd enter the draft or not and whether he'll be ready to play in September or not. This obviously suggests that he's talked with some of the teams and there's still interest in taking him higher up, I believe. But yeah, like he's a very talented college quarterback. I could I I couldn't really see anyone letting him slip out of the first round without taking a flyer on. There's obviously Joe Burrow's expected to go number one, but after that, the rest of the the kind of quarterbacks that are coming in, none of them are none of them are without issue. Basically, you're getting a number of kind of the various types of he's a good playmaker, but he doesn't have the same physical tools, or he has the physical tools, but he's a bit up and down. Where I think like Tua, when he was playing for Alabama, kind of had that combination of both. He looked the part of a of a franchise quarterback, but was also having to productive of a franchise quarterback and been able to play from the pocket and obviously Alabama is a, is a is a program that has a very good reputation for coaching even if the 
the quarterbacks often have been able to coast on the defense. But I think when they needed to rely on him last year in particular to uh, uh, showed up, showed that he was a good quarterback and kind of elevated that team um, rather than just being a passenger on like former Alabama quarterback. So I think even given the injuries, I think he's expected to be hopefully healthy enough to do some OTA stuff. But you are kind of you know taking a bit of a risk here on a player who obviously will probably still be continuing rehab to some extent up into training camps, you'd imagine. Speaking of offensive linemen, Chicago offensive lineman Kyle Long has retired at 31. He's a three-time pro bowler. And he said just the ongoing multiple injuries accumulated are making him having to leave. So, yeah, and it's a bit it's another hole for Chicago to fill. They're like a team that's obviously spent a lot of draft capital on trades and stuff. So losing uh, an offensive lineman, even Kyle Long probably not playing near his Pro Bowl peak um due to the injuries, but even given that and obviously given as we said the offensive lineman issues, it's just another problem for them to deal with in an organization already in flux. So Kyle Long, I hope he enjoys his retirement, enjoys his health as much as it remains and uh we wish him all the best going forward, of course. But I suppose, yeah, we'll move on and we'll have a look at the games from uh, last week. So first up, we have Buffalo at Houston. One of the two games that went to overtime, which was a bit of a surprise. 19-22. Watson comes back from with a 16-point third quarter deficit uh, into overtime and gets the, the field goal. There was almost the textbook problems that we've had with this offense happened here of the Watson was getting sacked a lot because he was holding the ball way too long because he kept trying to go for the deep plays. And then it was probably in the third to fourth quarter where they started to just take the underneath stuff, throwing it at, at Luke Hopkins occasionally, regardless of what was happening with him. And then that worked very, very well for them. JJ Watt came back from injury, as we mentioned on the last the last oh, podcast. As well, well the, the, the telecast was happy to remind you that JJ Watt exists. Yeah. Uh, I think on the winning field goal, first reaction shot, JJ Watt. Not the Sean Watson who got them there. No, no, JJ Watt, he's important. So like it's it's grand. Buffalo looked okay earlier on, but like you could see that they just don't trust what they have in the quarterback. There's a couple of mistakes being made there, but the young the young running back uh, Singletary looked good. Like this game, like Buffalo dominated the first half, and yeah, I think you're right. Like they don't trust Allen to be a basically a traditional quarterback, which which is fine, I suppose. Like you can build an offense around special talent, but it, it definitely seemed that they were scared a little bit to just have him sit in the pocket, throw some decent throws, even though when he did get the chance to do it in the first quarter, there were a few nice throws. But really with Allen, it was just way, way up and down with the variance. Like you have in the first, like his first drive, he has a really nice run, designed run that goes for, for, for 20, 40, 30 or 40 yards. And then he scores a touchdown on a trick throw from John Brown. There's a little John Brown celebration as well. It's pretty fun. And, and other than that, within the first three quarters, he was pretty solid. He didn't make too many mistakes, but he, but the mistakes he did make should have worried you. There was like one near pick six that could have, could have been absolutely disastrous in the red zone. And there was also one fumble that was was overturned um, because his knee had just come down at the point that the ball was popping out. So in that first half, you had the warning signs here that Josh Allen was, could make some stupid mistakes and there was also a little bit of red zone inefficiency as well. And then in the second quarter, that's when the stupid stuff starts to happen. He took a few sacks that he shouldn't have. Um, there was a forced fumble um, when he tried to run out of the pocket, wasn't protecting the ball right. In their second last drive, within the two-minute warning to try and get them a field goal to get it to overtime the first time, he tried a lateral after a very long run he did like a rugby style like over the shoulder like New Zealand style 
like lateral and it, it that's just an idiotic thing to do yeah. and he's so lucky that they that well he and the look and then meaning that much but he was so lucky that they managed to get another drive using their three timeouts subsequently uh so yeah for buffalo like singletary looked really nice he broke a number of tackles i think this is the kind of game people will go into next season be really hyped on him and the defense was good like they got a lot of sack on watson they were pretty solid overall and i think the plays that watson had to do to defeat them shows how good that defense was like as, as you mentioned, like Watson came back from 16 points in the third quarter. I'd say the highlight of the comeback was probably his 20 yard rush where he was breaking tackles, moving through and like had to shove through the final tackle to get over the line. Very impressive. Flex, you hear him that flex that time. There was like a really a peach of a, a deep bomb to uh, DeAndre Hopkins uh, in the fourth quarter as well. That was just beautiful. But as you say, he needs to earn that because in the fourth, first quarter, again, again, dancing in the pocket. Oh, let, let's have something happen. Oh, maybe I'll do a run. And he was getting sacked. He was getting hit. It's yeah. just not smart football. Um, but like, to be fair, when you're Deshaun Watson and two defenders in overtime are coming directly for your head and you just bounce off them and then throw... Uh, like a basically a screen pass which goes all the way up to the 10 yard line you're gonna get away with that shit yeah, yeah. but yeah. he doesn't have he doesn't do it consistently like pat mahomes does at his peak so i think you have to be a bit worried for houston that you're building an offense which is so reliant on that bullshit happening uh next up in the other afc game tennessee at new england 20 to 13 we called it brady threw a pick six uh in the second half and that was the only point scored in that second half the entirety of this game was essentially the new england offense not being very good like well yeah so him not playing well on offense and tennessee just deciding that they don't like passing so they had i think 15 pass attempts to 40 rush attempts in this game they just basically did what they did before and get yourself to at least kind of a tie or be in the game and then just start letting derrick henry run forever and ever and ever i think he had 34 carries in this game yeah. Nearly two hundred yards on his own. They also had some fuckery with the uh, with the uh, the clock, the yeah, <laughs> the clock attention. Yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. If you want to have a look up on that, that was great crack. But yeah, like it's obviously a, a good win for Tennessee, but New England just looked like they shouldn't have been in the playoffs. To be honest, the first half they were fine. They were a fine team. Obviously, at the half it was fourteen thirteen to the Tennessee Titans, but they didn't score a single point in. The second half and that gives you an indication that you know when the when the when the game was on the line when they needed tom brady to show up he wasn't getting it done like you know 20 out of 37 isn't it it, it, it it's not a leak war it's, it's it's barely even you know starter level um of any description that's like trubisky i would complain about it i think tom brady deserves to get that kind of complaint and yes he was under a bit of pressure from like the Tennessee defense. Like their D line was pretty good, but we know that their secondary isn't that good. So he just needed to get that ball out of here. And I know he's lacking all his weapons, but the whole point of Tom Brady at his peak was that he was able to elevate his weapons as well as, you know, as well as the other way around his weapons elevating him. Like I know he would always go to Edelman or Gronkowski at, at, at when he needed the most, but he was still able to get production out of other types of players yeah. as well. And like, yeah, like I think like if the pick six ends up being his last play in New England, which to be honest, I don't expect. I think he'll be back next year. It's a pretty sad way for it to end. But yeah, Derrick Henry, I think, yeah, like Tennessee decided early on this season. Yeah, Derrick Henry, he's brilliant. Why, why didn't the previous coaching staff use him a lot? And like the fact that they're like two minute drill at the end of the first half was basically, um, well, we could try doing some two minute drill stuff. Oh, we'll just give the ball to Derrick Henry and score a touchdown. 
and gives you an indication of what this team is like. It's just like Derrick Henry run, and there was so many times, especially early on, that Derrick Henry was getting like nine yard runs, ten yard runs, fifteen yard runs, and New England just didn't know what to do. I think they were deliberately maybe allowing it a little bit because that kind of capped their like meant that they weren't getting AJ Brown long touchdowns, uh, and obviously that's reflected in how few. Uh, pass attempts they had but ultimately this kind of game of control that Belichick was doing it didn't really matter because his offense and talent on defense and punt returns wasn't doing enough to to make it matter in the end so maybe it was well coached but you only you can only coach out so much of a, an imbalance in actual talent and yeah like the variable like deliberately taking a delay of game kill some clock then doing a false start to kill more clock because if it's a different penalty, the clock keeps running as if it was the first penalty. And then New England actually committed their own uh, offsides penalty. On a, this is on a punt, by the way, to bleed off even more clock. And there's a rule where it once gets within the last yeah, five minutes, then, yeah. it stops then. But he he boiled off like a whole minute of time from mm-hmm. the sixth minute to the fifth minute in the fourth quarter, cutting off like you know a fifth of the total time available. Yeah, yeah, and this was a trick that Bill Belichick had used against the Jets, Jets uh, earlier this year, I believe. Back Pretty funny, it. yeah. Um, <laughs> he didn't um, look too happy though. <laughs> yeah, we'll move over to the NFC side. Uh, Minnesota and New Orleans. This was a big surprise. Twenty-six to twenty in overtime. Minnesota upset New Orleans with a Rudolph touchdown. With depending on how you view it, possibly OPI on it as well. I I really just don't get how you how New Orleans just didn't show up in this game the way they did. Like. They were 10 points behind in the fourth quarter. It wasn't that Minnesota were playing incredibly well on offense either. Their defense was doing a great job. They got an interception, a couple of sacks, and a fourth fumble. But New Orleans at times looked a little bit like they had the go and throw it at Michael Thomas. But outside of that, not much. Apart from the odd bit of Taysom Hill rolled in as well. Yeah. It was pretty sad, like to be honest. Like, like the like the Saints' offense has been pretty rocking the last month or so. It's actually been getting it done, and even Alvin Kamara was showing a bit of spark recently. But in this game, Taysom Hill was the only thing that was fun to watch. His fifty-yard bomb to Deontay Harris was good, and when you saw that Drew Brees got picked on a very similar play later on, you had to ask questions about where Drew Brees is at physically um, at this time of year. Taysom Hill had their large, longest rush. <laughs> he had one of their. Uh, longer receptions. It's just like a whole litany of like Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill. He even got the block on the Alvin Kamara touchdown in the first half. So yeah, like New Orleans, they just, they just never got going. They were always making like small mistakes. They were always doing kind of like, like not doing what you expect from Sean Payton. And then, you know, when the, when the chips were down and they were in the fourth quarter, yes, they managed to get their 10 points to manage to get into overtime in the first place. But there was obviously a key Drew Brees forced fumble on their like basically second to last attempt to get that to get a touchdown i think the new orleans saints you know we've obviously seen the last couple of years they've they've had pretty bad luck in the playoffs and to lose to minnesota in this fashion to not really show up at home after going 13 and 3 and getting beat by minnesota team which i let that we'll talk about them in a moment they are that they deserve a lot of credit you know they could have done more here and i think in particular some adjustments could be made on the offensive scheming, the offensive line scheming to deal with what Minnesota were doing. Well, we will, we'll, we'll talk about Minnesota when we're previewing the next round of games. They like, they did, they did perform well, yeah. but I, I feel, I feel this is more of a, of New Orleans letting themselves down yeah. rather than Minnesota. I, I, I think give, give credit to the Minnesota defense. They did a lot of stuff. They had an interception, a forced fumble. I think the one interesting they did is that they got their outside, uh, defensive end type players were going inside a lot and going through the guards, and there was a lot of good scheming there 
Uh, so Mike Zimmer, well done, take take a clap. And Kirk Cousins, he liked that. He liked that. He used yeah. that line in the locker room. And uh, give we'll give you credit, Kirk Cousins. Um, it wasn't on Monday, so uh, you know one of part of the algorithm maybe failed enough for you to win here. No, of course. And uh, finally, this game also happened: Seattle at Philadelphia, seventeen to nine. This was a messy, messy, messy game. Yeah. Uh, a lot of mistakes, bots, snaps, flags, field blocks. Philly had their backup quarterback in from very early on because Wentz was knocked out by a hit by uh, Clowney, I think it was, who hit him. Wasn't yeah, it? and there's a there's a lot of fighting on Twitter and Reddit and stuff. Was it a dirty hit? But I think the reality is that at the point that Carson Wentz was getting it was getting tackled, he had turned into a runner. He was basically getting this you more or less the same treatment as a running back once you choose to turn into a runner. And yes, if you are running back, you will often find people like David Clowney falling on your back and perhaps getting incidental helmet to helmet contact. So obviously the Seahawks fan, I'm biased, but I do think like if you don't want to be treated like a running back, don't try to rush out of the pocket unless you feel like, unless you know where your, where your surrounding defenders are. But yeah, Josh McCowan then comes in and is solid between the twenties, 1824, yeah, can't, can't seem to get yeah. into the end zone though. He's just kind of, yeah. yeah. Every time they were in the red zone on third and fourth down, he just looked a little bit lost. And it was a couple of times that he kind of tried to take out of the pocket. And you just see a defender like come streaking. And it's like they were like twice as fast as yeah. he is. And a K- like these are like linebackers like KJ Wright looking like absolute, like looking like, you know, Tyreek Hill or something like here. I think again and again, when the chips were down, he couldn't get it done. Some nice throws like Zach Ertz early on, but that, 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 that's about it. And like by the end, he was like grabbing his hamstring, kind of like limping along. So yeah. for a 40, 41-year-old quarterback, that's never really a good sign. But in this yeah. one, uh, yeah. So like Wilson, over 300 yards is touchdown. DK Metcalf, like take a bow, so 160 yards touchdown. Big clutch catch at the end to allow you to, to finish it out and just knee out at the end of it. Very, very, like your, your run game didn't do much. Um. I think that is a concern, particularly at beast mode, not looking all that all that really game ready at moments. Yeah. Uh, the only factor you can go is like like Fletcher Cox was basically bullying our center, Joey Hunt. He was like throwing him around like a rag doll, makes running quite hard. Uh, I think the Seahawks at least they, they they often don't, but thankfully in this game they did realize the run game wasn't going anything. I think both of the I think both the running backs, Marshall Lynch and Travis Moore, had like about one yard of carry. <laughs> and like Marshall Lynch had a touchdown that's nice but everything else is pointless but yeah like Russell Wilson on those deep throws the Metcalf and to a lesser extent Lockett he can do enough against it like against a team without a starting quarterback but yeah against the better teams it doesn't seem sustainable we'll see if they can do something going forward but uh not really that confident to be honest so of course I suppose we'll go on and we'll have a look at the picks for next weekend <laughs> So we got four matchups. Uh, we'll start at the top: Minnesota at San Francisco. We've both gone for San Francisco in this game. Like we said, the Minnesota team—they looked decent. Their defense played very well, but San Francisco just—they've got a week off. They've got time to prepare. They are going to be a wrecking machine, I think. Like Minnesota would need to really defy the odds to travel down there to, to beat up on that defense. Cousins. I don't know how he'd deal with the amount of pressure they'll get with that rotation at, at the defensive line position. For yeah, the I think D Ford is expected to be back as well in the rotation. Yeah, this so, week. and that's the thing. Whenever you've got all of them on the go, it's it, it, it it's nigh on impossible to block them all. And yeah. Cousins isn't exactly the kind of get the ball out of his hands fast, run away from speedy linebackers yeah. kind of guy. Like, you know? 
he's very reliant on the play action being sold on and that will require the Dalvin Cook to do a lot of work and like Dalvin Cook looked pretty solid in the New Orleans game he, he looked fine he looked mostly healthy so if they can get that zone read running uh, game from Stefanski uh, going then that will make a huge difference but obviously the run game is pretty tough against San Francisco as well um, I think in San Francisco's case the ideal that they would want to do is basically get an early lead and then run the ball through their running back rotation. Most are probably the, the running back one at the moment. And, you know, the way they get up early is probably via Kittle. Like, George Kittle is just a monster. He's just a complete difference maker at the tight end position. And I expect that he will end up having a really big game in this and make Jimmy G look pretty good. But I, I think if we if this game goes how we expect, where San Francisco mostly dominate, I would imagine Jimmy G won't have to do much. So the real pressure will be on uh, Kirk Cousins to get it done, to see if that play action can go, if he can get those deep throws that have probably been the best part of his game this year. And if the defense can get the kind of pressure on the run game and on Jimmy G that they got against New Orleans. As I said, they're, they were bringing their defensive ends into the interior to target the guards. They were they obviously had done their homework there. If they can do something that innovative and something that different, they might have a hope, but... I think given that Xavier Rose and their quarterbacks has been pretty bad, we could also see, I think, you know, Drew Brees maybe is a little bit limited in his deep throwing these days. And so you could see Jimmy G maybe early on have a couple of hits with Emmanuel Sanders, George Kittle, target them, see if they can get a, couple, a bit of big plays and, yeah. yeah, put this out of hand for Minnesota. Because like, Minnesota don't be like a comeback team, to be honest. They don't, no. Um, next up is Tennessee at Baltimore. We've both gone for Baltimore in this one. Obviously, the, the prime question, can anyone stop the clear MVP Lamar this year. He looks great. Their defense has been playing well as well. Their run game is incredible. Like This is essentially going to be two run games going at each other because I can't see Tennessee going away from their reliance on Derrick Henry in this. So Baltimore's defense are going to have to be stacking the boxes and being able to take him out of it because I think if you force them into passing, yes, they've gotten success with Tannehill there. Yes, his quarterback rating on his completion percentages are good and high well that's because he is throwing it 15 to 20 times a game they don't use him that much i think if you put the pressure on them and make him have to throw it 35 times plus yeah. that that's a recipe for him to make mistakes and baltimore have good ball hawking secondary they've got marcus peters is performing very well for them uh, thomas they're backing them up at safety it's a defense that could feast if they force them away from Derrick Henry. But I, I think in the New England game, Tennessee were holding it close to their chest. I think both New England and Tennessee basically agreed, we'll make this a tight game. I think I can get that done here. Against the Ravens, you don't have that option. It, it, yeah. it will turn into a boat race at some point. Like If you think back to the Cleveland game a couple of weeks ago, like like Cleveland kept it close until the end of the second half. And then uh, the Ravens got like 15 points in like less than two minutes. So you just, you can't hold on to them. So I expect Tennessee to come out here and be way more aggressive on their offense. I expect to see a lot more of the trick plays to Jonu Smith, which have been coming off really well in the last half of the season. Obviously, there's going to be loads of Derrick Henry. That just goes without saying. And they hope that he can get the kind of five to 10 yard gains that really get that offense going. But if they do key on him, I expect that Ryan Tannehill will be willing to throw it down downfield, will be looking for A.J. Brown and Corey Davis to a lesser extent. I think, like, 
Uh, like if you look at the secondary of Baltimore, it is pretty solid overall. But obviously we know there's a couple of risk takers there. So we'll see if they're willing to just get a dump a few balls off by AJ Brown, see what he can do, see if they can tackle him in space because that they've had a lot of success with that. So I expect the Titans to be more near their fun form that we've seen for the last back of the season that we saw this week. Um, and as for Baltimore, we know what Baltimore are. They're just brilliant. Uh, we're going to see brilliant football from them. And it's just a matter if Tennessee can can keep up with them. You know, like Lamar is ridiculous. Like, yeah, like Mark Ingram is, is spearheading a great run game. And yeah, that defense, it has been way better than we expected this year, given the talent loss. But we'll see against a really good team, in my opinion, in Tennessee and their offense, yeah. what they can do. And Tennessee's defense, yeah, if they can, if they can stop Lamar scoring every drive, That'd be pretty good going to be yeah. honest. If they if Justin Tucker scores a few field goals, they'll be hella happy with that, to be honest. Next up, Houston at Kansas City. We've both gone for Kansas City. That was the Andy Reid coming off the bye. The big storyline for them coming in is that Spag's defense appears to have rounded into shape and was looking great the last six or seven weeks of the season. Kansas City obviously hoping to get their offense out firing as this is a Houston team that maybe a little bit inconsistent at times does have the ability with you know, with with New Hopkins and everyone around there, that they can rapidly score and it could become a bit of a boat race uh, if, if if that's allowed to happen. JJ Watt is obviously back and presumably will be able to handle more than he did this week, which means we'll probably see more of him on the television, which would be fine. The big one for the Houston team is going to be the all everything points towards Will Fuller being back, and he is a difference maker for that offense when he's on there. I think he take some of the pressure off Nuke, but he's also an excellent receiver in his own right and makes him a far more dangerous prospect, particularly yeah. given that Casey have lost uh, one Tornhill for the for the season. They're yeah. going to have a rotational player in there, probably Ward or one or two, or Dirty Dan Sorensen or a few of those guys rotating in and around who, while serviceable, are not anywhere near the level that Thornhill have been playing for the second half. Yeah. So that's uh, that's a worry for them if Fuller's back. Yeah, like Spags, the, the Spagnolo defense, the KC defense has been improving, and obviously the the reputation of Spagnolo's defense is in the, is that they always peaked in the playoffs from his Giants time, uh, time with the Giants and those Super Bowl wins. So I think obviously as a KC fan, you got to be pretty confident that you can you can get pressure on Deshaun Watson, and we know Deshaun Watson will give up a few Deshaun Watson sacks. Basically, well, we could call them coverage sacks, but they're Deshaun Watson sacks because he's yeah. ridiculous. Um, but yeah, Will Fuller is a is an incredibly dangerous player. We know that he always has that capacity to go for like 150, 200 yards if, if he gets those deep balls. But he's obviously perfectly capable of having his hamstring give out uh, in the first quarter. So we'll, we'll see with him. I'd never prognosticate accurately with him. Yeah. But I think the big question for me uh, as, 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 as an outsider is, you know, we've seen sparks of this Kansas City offense where they've looked kind of be back. You know, Tyreek Hill's had a couple of good games. Uh, the tie, like Kelsey's had a couple of good games. Mahomes had a couple of good games. The run games look good at times, but I haven't really quite seen too many complete Kansas City performances equivalent to what they were doing in 2018 when they were lighting teams up week after week after week. So what I'm interested to see is that now that we're in the playoffs, now that the, the gloves are off, there's no more protection, protecting things. Like, let's see if Andy Reid yeah. has for once in his career been saving some really good stuff for the playoffs rather than using it all in the first game. And can he get a performance out of this team that will put the scare into either Baltimore or Tennessee and obviously whoever they're facing the Super Bowl if they make it that far. Uh, yes. But for me, I'm interested to see if they can do that. And if they can, well, as a KC fan, you couldn't be more happy if you could see yes. something like that. And that's the thing. Like one, one of the things that has annoyed me is just the extent to which 
Andy has pulled the foot off the off, off the gas yeah. in games. As soon as they got up by like two scores, they just go to vanilla, showing nothing. And yeah. like you said, like I'm, 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 I'm hoping we see a little bit more from that. The, the hope is that it's him saving things rather than him just running out of things to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll see. And then our final game, the Derp Bowl, Seattle at Green Bay. We've both gone for Green Bay, although to be honest, I could see this going either way. Yeah, like Seattle looked odd and mistakey and weird in the last game. Green Bay don't look like a team that should have a first round bye. They struggle to get past the Lions in week 17. Like, this is a confusing one. Can Green Bay's offense look consistent? Is there still going to be, because there still appears to be tension between Lafleur and Rodgers on some of how they're running their, their, their offense as well. Like, Seattle's run game, should they just let Russell Wilson do Russell Wilson stuff and give up on like beast mode outside of, you know, when you're Probably. on the yard line. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and can either of these teams, because we've seen big performances from the Seattle defense. We've seen big performances from the Green Bay defense, but yeah. they are normally, you know, interspersed like every three or four weeks. You just have a, have a landmark performance and then they disappear for a bit again. So yeah, like, 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 let's think about the form guide of these two teams. We won't go too far in, but week 16, Green Bay's defense absolutely hammers the Minnesota offense and they, and the offense looks pretty, like they have a pretty good game on Monday Night Football. They beat up Minnesota and force them into the sixth seed. Week 17, they get, they need a walk-off field goal to beat David Blau and his Lions. So which Green Bay are we going to get? Which one of Green Bay are you going to get on any given drive? Because, yeah, you see occasionally an Aaron Jones player, like, oh, that's a really good run or a really nice screen game play. Devontae Adams is probably the only thing that you can regularly rely on, but you obviously can't rely on one player alone. And the rest of the receivers, uh, I don't know what, I don't know what Roger's problem with them, but they're definitely not in the good highs, uh, any of them at any given time. And obviously, yeah, Lafleur and Rogers, I assume there's some fighting on because like, as I said, like in week 17, Rodgers just looks sad at the moment. He doesn't look excited to play football, even though they're the two seed. It doesn't really make any sense. And their defense, obviously, uh, as I said, can be way up and way down. They're just a bit on. I don't know, to be honest. They're just a bit weird. Uh, and then Seattle, yeah, like I, I think they're very, very reliant in this game on Russell Wilson magic bullshit. He's going to have to run this, the run this show and hopefully get the performances from Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf and Jacob Hollister that get you lots of those big plays. Cause I imagine Seattle will have a lot of one yard gains, one yard losses type of things on, on screen, like missed passes and on run game attempts. But I think realistically the Seattle's only really ace left in the hole are those big plays. And their defense was pretty solid, albeit against Josh McCown. We'll see if Jadavian Clowney won healthy, won more healthy after another week of, of prep. More rest for Quandre Diggs, who came back. Seeing with the, you know, those key players back, can the defense get back up to where it was, like, say, against that San Francisco game, um, which they did bring up. Because, like, their form book is, like, lose to Arizona, get a really close game against the number one seed San Francisco, have a derpy game against Philadelphia. So both these teams... I have no idea what they want to do, but I suppose Cousin Lambeau, because they are the number three seed, will give it to Green Bay. Yeah, so it's it's going to be an interesting thing. Like these games are very very late. I think the Casey game is at least it's like early in the sense it's like nine o'clock, but uh, over here, so I think that's like twelve o'clock over there. So I, I think Tennessee Baltimore is the one I'm most excited to see in terms of the potentiality, and then these other games that they have some interesting aspects to them. But I have a feeling like a lot of these are. 
I'm fairly confident San Francisco can get it done. I'm pretty confident KC and then the Seattle Green Bay game. I, I, I just can't see the winner of that game being able to beat a San Francisco if they do manage to get through. Yeah, so I'm going to be wrapping up and then traveling back over. You're back to work this week, aren't you? Yep, back on uh, Wednesday, fun times. Times, well, I suppose we'll cop yeah. it off there. Oh, always. there's uh, just one bit of breaking news, which mm-hmm. we may talk about later. Wade Phillips, his contract isn't being renewed by the LA Rams, their okay. defensive coordinator. I expect that he'll have a job by the time we talk next week. But, yes, uh, almost certainly, yes. Inter- interesting decision. Like, I don't think he was the problem there, to be honest. So no, I don't either. We'll, we'll, we'll see what the story is and the Rams, maybe a bit of uh, internal fighting going on somehow. Oh, fair enough. But yeah, I suppose we'll, we'll wrap up there because we've got a few bits to, to get doing. And as you can probably hear from our voices, we're still probably a little bit tired from last night. So uh, <laughs> as always, send us in your questions. We'll try and get to a few of them next week. Uh, so it's bye from myself. Bye from Ronan. Bye. This has been All Four Quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.